your seat. The divine encounter nobody wants. The divine encounter nobody wants. I want to this morning jump right into the text. So that's my introduction. The first thing that I want us to see in this text is the declaration of Israel's sin. The declaration of Israel's sin. God, through the prophet Amos, wastes no time in making the charges known of which they are guilty. And when he declares what their sins are, he first calls out their women. So there's this declaration of Israel's sin first concerning their women. He opens the text by saying, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. I figured I would try that. What's up, cows? Now, the first thing, and I'm not sure if Pastor uh, Jordan mentioned this last week, is that these passages start often, the way we know that we are in a new unit, is because the first thing that is often said is, hear this word. Remember, in Amos chapter 1, it opens with God saying, or, or with the prophet saying, the lion has roared. The lion is God. And remember, we said that the lion only roars when the lion is preparing to attack. And so God now is pictured as a lion who's preparing to attack his prey. And his prey happens to be his own people. Because they have failed to keep the terms of covenant with him. And so as the lion is roaring, the word for the people, the first thing that is said is, hear this word. Friends, what we need today is people of God who hear and listen for and listen to the voice of God. Maybe you're saying, Brandon, that's a struggle for me because I have no idea if it's God speaking or if it's me speaking. I hear you because I talk to myself all the time. I ain't crazy, but I just talk to myself. And I find myself to be one of my best conversation partners, truth be told. And so he says here, so how do I know if it's God speaking? Listen to his word. How does God speak to us today? Through his word. If what's being said in your mind and in your conscience lines up with the word, it may very be that it is God who is speaking. But if it doesn't line up with his word, then it's probably not God, but some bad Mexican food that you had. And so here, here, the first thing that we are told to do is hear. Make your ears sensitive to the Word of God. Friends, that's why I pray on Sunday mornings and I say, God, prepare our minds, our hearts, and our ears to receive your Word. Because what we need more than anything in this day and time is a Word from the Lord. We hear the words from CNN 
and CNNBC and Fox News all during the week. We hear the words of the Wichita Eagle. We hear the words of our spouses and our friends and our bosses. We hear that all week long. And where does that get us? But frustrated, upset, and angry most of the time. Hopefully that's not always happening between you and your spouse. Hopefully that's the exception. But what we need more than anything is a word from the Lord. And so he says, hear this word. Now I will admit that this is the word I wouldn't want to hear from the Lord. Because he says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. This term cows is fitting because Bashan was known for its fertile land and it's well-fed cattle. So these cattle, they were healthy, they were well-fed, and they lived luxuriant. There you go. And, 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 and the reason, and so when he calls them cows of Bashan, it's not necessarily a negative term, but it fits their lifestyle. Now, who are these cows of Bashan? The, the, it makes, the text makes it clear that he's speaking to the elite and wealthy women in Israel. And he says, I'm calling you out because this luxurious lifestyle, there it is, that you are living is being funded on the backs of the poor and the needy. And the problem, church, with this situation is that Israel, remember Israel was living under the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law, and the law included protections for the poor. Israel's job, their responsibility under the Mosaic Covenant was to be generous and compassionate toward the poor. However, in Israel, the exact opposite was happening. Rather than protecting the poor, they were harming the poor. The text makes it clear here that it wasn't just the women, but the men were culpable too. Because the text says that they would say, these wealthy, elite, well-fed women would say, husbands, go, bring that we may drink. So it, it, it makes it seem as if the men, the women are benefiting from the exploitation of the poor that's being done by the husbands. But the husbands are doing it to please the wives. Even though, look at this, even though the women are not the ones explicitly exploiting the poor, they are benefiting from a system. that hurts the poor. And according, my understanding and reading of the text is, even if you are not the ones directly uh, 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 doing or committing the sin, if you benefit from the sin or the system, you are just as guilty. That's the book, not Brandon. And so God says, for you who even benefit from it, you perpetuate a system that continues to hurt a group of people that are weak and vulnerable that I have said that, that I am going to protect. That it is your job as my people to protect them. My judgment is going to come upon you. 
Friends, these sins invoke the wrath of God. And the text says, Amos says that the Lord has sworn by his holiness. God takes a divine oath. It's, it's as if he puts his right hand up and says, so help me my own self. I will do this. So the first declaration of assist concerns of their sins uh, concerns their women. But then he moves from the sins concerning their women to sins concerning their worship in verses 4 and 5. The Lord, in verses 4 and 5, accuses them of false and impure worship. Look, look what he says in verses 4 and 5. He says, come to Bethel and transgress. To Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Verse 5, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them for so you love to do. O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. Hopefully you hear the sarcasm here. God invites them. He says, come on. This is, by the way, this is a call to worship. And so their call to worship is keep on doing what you're doing. It, I'll, listen, you may not agree with my parenting methods, but there are times when I tell my children don't do certain things. And my expectation, once I say it one time, is that they stop doing it. Second time, you may incur the wrath of dad. But there are sometimes, rather than me getting uh, um, immediately involved, I just say, all right, keep on doing it. Go ahead. Keep on. I, I, thank you. Yes, yeah. I, I want you to. Go ahead. See, see, and let's see what happens. One way or the other, you're going to learn. You're going to learn by the consequence of your action based on what happens to you. Or you're going to learn based on the consequence of what I do to you. And this is what's happening here. God between Israel is like, go ahead. Keep on doing what you're doing. I, I ain't going to do, I ain't going to say nothing. Just, just go ahead. Remember that during the time that Amos is prophesying, Bethel and Gigal had now become places where Israel worshiped idol gods. Remember we said their worship was syncretistic. In other words, it was blended. They worshiped Yahweh, but they also worshiped idol gods. And so they had built shrines at Bethel and Gigal, and that's now where they were worshiping uh, and doing this blended worship. And so this is why. And so God says, go ahead. And that's why he tells them to go there and transgress, because that's what you're doing. You are sinning. By, by worshiping your idol gods, you, you are breaking your covenant obligation to worship Yahweh alone. And so Israel said, go ahead. You're going to worship them. You're going to transgress. But watch this. He says, you can keep bringing your sacrifices, your tithes, and your offerings. That was to Yahweh. That was their covenant obligation to Yahweh. And so God says, I know you're going to do what you're going to do, so go do what you're going to do anyways. Notice that he says you can do the right things. Now, the question that must be asked is why would God encourage his people to sin? 
And I'm convinced, church, that God is not actually encouraging his people to sin, but rather God is exposing their sin to them and showing them that because of your false and impure worship, my judgment is now inescapable. Do whatever you want to, but my judgment is going to come. Here's what happens. God is now giving them over to their idolatrous ways. Friends, it is a scary and most dangerous place for God to raise his hands and say, I'm done. Now, I want to point out something in this latter portion of verse 5. The Lord tells them, remember, he says, go ahead, do what you're going to do, and proclaim free will offerings. Here it is. For so you love to do. They loved to offer sacrifices. They loved to pay tithes. They loved to give their offerings. But yet they also worship idol gods, which was evident that they did not wholeheartedly love Yahweh. Yahweh requires wholehearted devotion, allegiance, and loyalty. You cannot have a dev divided heart when it comes to worshiping Yahweh, God, the Lord. And so God shows them here, you love the actions and the acts of worship more than you love the person of worship. You love, in other words, God says, God says you love your spiritual disciplines more than you love me. The things that are supposed to be a means to an end, the spiritual disciplines, you have made an end in themselves. So that you feel like you are good with me just because you pray, you read your Bible, you fast from time to time. So you think we on good terms. You do these things, but yet you continue in sin. And God says you can do all the right things for the wrong reasons. And even when you do right things for the wrong reasons, God says I still reject that type of worship. God says go ahead and keep going through the motions of worship but I don't acknowledge that or receive that as true worship. And this is why Israel is guilty and why judgment is coming upon them. So God says, because of your sin, my judgment is going to come upon you. So he declares to them their sins. He says, I'm going to gather you with hooks and fish hooks, and I'm going to exile you from a land that is not your own. So we see the declaration of Israel's sin in Amos 4, verses 1 through 5. But then look with me at the depth of Israel's sin, verses 6 through 11. In verses 6 through 11, this section is all about God's attempts to restore Israel back to right relationship with, with their God. The Lord says he just recounts all the things that he's done to bring them back to him. In verses 6 through 11, the Lord says to them, first, he says, I brought calamity upon you on numerous occasions, but you have failed to return to me. Look at what God says. Just look what I've done. Verse 6, he says, first, I blessed you with a famine. Okay, I cursed you. With the famine. That's what he means by cleanness of teeth. They, they didn't have any food to dirty their teeth. He said, so you had clean teeth. 
because I didn't give you any food. You, so that was a famine. I did this to you, God says, yet you did not return to me. Verse 7 and 8, God says, I also withheld rain from you. Friends, this is devastating. Remember that this is an uh, agricultural society. No rain, no crops. No crops, no food. No crops, no economy. This affected their economy, their livelihood. And God says, you still did not return to me. Verse 9, God says, I also curse you with plant disease and with locusts, yet you did not return to me. Verse 10, he says, I brought plagues and war upon you. Yet you still did not recognize me as Lord. You failed to return to me. Verse 11, the Lord says, I overthrew you as a, a nation, and a handful of you survived, but yet you still failed to return to me. What are we to learn from this section? First, I want us to look at the actions of God. The question that you've got to ask yourself, is God loving just and righteous and bringing disaster and catastrophe upon people. You, you've got to wrestle with this in this text because God says, I'm admitting, I did it. I'm responsible. No food, no rain, locusts, all of it. I did it. And here's what we learn. You've got to remember in Deuteronomy at the end, God says, if you obey me, if you keep the terms of, your, of the covenant, I'll bless you. You'll live. You'll have life. But God says in the same covenant, if you disobey me, then I will curse you. So even in the curses that God brings upon his people, he is demonstrating that he's still a faithful God. Because God says, even though you are not keeping your covenant commitments, I'm going to keep my covenant commitment even if it involves cursing you. And so God demonstrates that I'm still in the midst of your sinning and your backsliding and your, your, your falling after other gods. I'm still faithful. But God not only demonstrates that he is faithful, but God demonstrates that he's also merciful. The very first time they broke covenant with their God, he could have wiped them out as a nation. But instead of wiping them out completely, he brings just a little bit of his wrath on them. And rather giving them what they really deserve, he holds back some of his wrath so that they return to him. Friends, that's mercy. God says, I'm faithful. I'm merciful. But I want us to see also, notice that there is a separation between God and man. Sin has distanced man from their God. It is clear. We've, it's already clear who's in the wrong. Israel's in the wrong. But look who pursues the, in the relationship. God is holy, just, righteous and right he's done nothing to harm the relationship Israel has they've forsaken their God 
but yet it is God who pursues them. You missed a good spot to take a lap around this building because the only reason you are saved today is not because you finally decided that I'm going to come back to God. I made the right choice. No, God came pursuing you, and he said, come back to me. I want you. I love you. I want a relationship with you. God stands today with arms wide open saying, I want you back. It is God who pursues. God is always the initiator in the relationship between himself and his people. Friends, I stand amazed today that God still loved Israel when they were being very unlovely. Ooh, I'm going to take a lap all by myself because I know how unlovely Brandon can be to his God, but yet he loves me. Oh, how he loves me, even in the midst of my unloveliness. That's what God does here. What amazing grace. God says, I did all this so that you would return to me. What are we to learn about Israel, though, from this? We've learned a few things about God. What are we to learn from Israel? Their failure to return to God shows the depth of their sin. They don't realize that these calamities that have come upon them are from the hand of their God. Friends, notice they no longer, they are so deep in sin that they no longer recognize the presence of God. He, he, God is present even in his judgment. They are so far gone. They are so far from their God that they no longer recognize his presence. Their sin has made them immune. They, to their guilt and their shame. They, they can no longer feel the weight of their sin. It, it has been said that those with leprosy back during the biblical times that they, they, had, they, they had become so desensitized to pain that rats would come and nibble at their toes and they didn't even realize it. That's Israel. They no longer even, they've become so used to their sin. They're so deep in their sin that they can no, no longer recognize God's hand. And friends, when you continue in sin so much, you will too become dull to the guilt of your sin. And somebody here today might be just like Israel. You've lived in sin so long that you don't even feel the weight of your sin anymore. You don't even have a, a sense of the presence of God. You feel like God is far away. And friends, the issue is not that God has moved far away from you, but rather that you have moved far away from your God. What's the application for us? I think it's important for us to realize that negative, that God is sovereign, meaning that he, he's in control, he's, and he does as he pleases. The fact that he's sovereign means that even negative events may be from his hand, 
in order to bring us to a place of repentance. And oftentimes, I'm convinced that most of us, when something negative happens, we're convinced that can't be God. And the text says that God allows bad things to happen so that we will come back to him. And so the application from us today, church, is we need to be reflective and introspective and say, could this negative event in my life be from God's hand? And could it be happening because I've wandered from God? He's trying to bring me back to him. God's goal in bringing catastrophe upon his people was for them to repent, to turn back to him. So this is easy preaching right now. What you need to do today is to repent. So then, we see the declaration of Israel's sin. We see the depth of Israel's sin. Now we have to see the divine summons. Verse 12. The Lord says, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God. God says, we've had encounters in the past. Famine, drought, plagues, wars. Those were all encounters we had. And those encounters were to bring you to a place of return, a place of repentance. He says, now we're going to have a final encounter. But this final encounter is not for the purpose of repentance. It's for the purpose of judgment. And so his word to Israel is prepare to meet your God. Friends, this is the divine encounter nobody wants. God says, I'm done with grace and mercy. Now it's time for me to pour out my wrath upon you because you have failed to return to me. Friends, we all have a date with judgment. It is appointed man to die once and then the judgment. It's an appointment that every person in the world has with God. And so I believe today the same word that Amos, that the Lord has to Israel, is the same word that we need to hear today. Prepare to meet your God, O church. Somebody, somebody in here today, you need to prepare to meet God. And the way you prepare to meet God is by acknowledging that you are a sinner. And you, as a result of your sin, you deserve eternal separation from God in hell. The place of his judgment, his wrath. For those who have not yet returned or turned to him by faith. 
And so the way you prepare to meet your God, if you have not yet been forgiven of your sins, is to turn to God through Jesus Christ. You are so sinful and so unworthy that you can't even pay the penalty for your own sin. And so God says the way you prepare is to just trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. Because my wrath has been poured on him in full for you. And so the way you prepare to meet me for this final encounter is by turning to Jesus. Oh, but people of God, you too. Notice in the text, he's not talking to people who are unrighteous or people that are not in right relationship with him. He's talking to people who are his own. And he says, you too need to prepare to meet your God. See, we can, I love, I love Jesus and I love what Jesus has done for me by saving me from my sin. I love that he died my death on the cross, was buried, but he rose victoriously on the third day with all power in his hand. But I can't forget about the judgment seat just because I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. But that ain't the end of the story. Let's go back to Israel's story. God called Moses, and he says, Moses, go down to Egypt and tell uh, Pharaoh to let my people go. That's not the end. There's all, there's, most of the time, there's something else that follows that. Let my people go so that, that's the purpose, they may serve me. You are saved not to just to sit on your laurels of being saved, but you are saved to serve God from the moment you are saved to the time he takes you back into eternity. And so God says, you better prepare because you are still going to be judged for your works here on the earth. It has nothing to do with your salvation. We'll, we'll be in heaven together. Once saved, always saved. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But he says, I'm still going to judge what you do with your saved self. How did you reflect me on the earth? How did you witness to, my, uh, to the rest of the world concerning my holiness, my justice, my righteousness? How did you love the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, the immigrant, the orphans, the widows? How did you do that? God says, you better prepare to meet me. So in other words, we need to live every day in light of the judgment seat of Christ. Sometimes us being so saved and, 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 and celebrating our salvation so much leaves us to complacency. And we don't work out our salvation. And remember, and notice what I said, work out our salvation. I didn't say work for our salvation. That's heresy. That, that ain't in the Bible because we are saved by grace through faith. Not of works. So we don't work for salvation, but we work out our salvation. And God says, people of God, you too ought to prepare to meet your God. Friends, stop taking every day for granted. Today might be the day that you have to meet your God. 
now, as you consider the fact that today might be the day my name is called and I've got to go meet my God, how then should you live in light of that truth? Monday morning, you ought to wake up saying, this might be the day I get to meet my God. So until he calls me, how then should I live? Prepare, O oh people, to meet your God. If, if, if I'm preparing to meet my God, then I'll stop wasting time. I'll be about my father's business while it's still day. Because night coming. If, if I'm preparing to meet my God, I will stop holding grudges. Ooh, cut off his mic, Jeff. If I'm preparing to meet my God every day, that means I'm running to be reconciled to my brother and sister. If I'm preparing to meet my God, that means I'll stop complaining and I'll start being grateful. I may not have all I want, but God help me to want all I have. If I'm preparing to meet my God, I'll stop wasting opportunities like Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock a.m. and worship God. Even though things may not be going like I want them in my life, they may not all be good, but I will still remember that this is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. So with my mouth, I will praise my God because I'm preparing to meet him. And I know I've got to give an account. And so maybe the prayer that we need to, to pray this morning is, God, however you do it, draw me nearer. Come on, worship team. Draw me nearer. Even if you got to hurt me. Sometimes that's what God has to do. He has to hurt us to heal us. And so that's how I want us to respond this morning is, draw me nearer, nearer, precious Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. God had made several attempts to Israel to draw them back into right relationship with him. This divine summons, we see the pronouncement of judgment in verse 12, and then we see the person of judgment in verse 13. It says, For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth the Lord, the God of hosts is his name. And this person of judgment, We, are, we see God as creator. And the reason that it is significant is that God is saying, because I created you and everything else in the world, I have the right and the authority to judge you. You are accountable to me because I am your creator. I am your maker. 
I am in control. I am the king. Let's stand. Somebody in here today, your response is, I'm guilty. I've sinned. I've not trusted God through his son, Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of sins. And so the response for you today is to to trust in Jesus and him alive, alone, who died your sin, who died your death for your sins, who took your penalty upon himself. For somebody else in this room, the response to this word is, I haven't been fully committed. I haven't been a fully devoted follower of Christ. Even if it's incomplete, uh, my, my devotion is incomplete as far as the knowledge is concerned. I haven't been fully devoted. I haven't been wholehearted in my service and worship to God. The response for you is to repent. Confess your sin. Turn from your sin. Repent. For all of us, we need to continue daily to prepare to meet our God. And whatever it takes, draw me nearer.